I'm beginning this morning a series called Discovering the Heart of God. So would you take your Bibles today and go to the book of Luke, the 15th chapter. As you're doing that today, let me greet those who are joining with us in our campuses. My name is Eddie Couples, and I'm the lead pastor of Love and Truth Ministries, and we're glad you're with us today. We're believing God to touch you by His power, by His Spirit. So let's get ready to see what God is going to speak to each and every one of us. We're going to be talking over the next several weeks about this whole aspect of discovering the heart of God. Now, that may seem a little, uh, uh, you know, a little weird saying, well, don't we all understand the heart of God? But, But I want to just tell you this morning, I don't think we do. I think a lot of us have a misconception about God. I don't know, maybe it comes from reading the Old Testament. How many of you have ever read some stuff in the Old Testament and you just went, huh? Come on, you know, when when God tells the children of Israel, hey, I want you to go and I want you to kill all of them, right? I mean, he he would tell them, don't leave babies alive, don't leave mamas and daddies alive, I want you to destroy everybody in your path. I mean, I read that and I go, wow, that's pretty intense, amen? Uh, And and we read about, you know, uh, Yuza reaching out and touching the Ark of the Covenant, and as soon as he touched it, he's trying to keep it from falling over. God kills him. And and, and as we read the Old Testament, we kind of get this idea that God is this vengeful, angry uh, entity that's up there just waiting to kill us. And because of that, we kind of walk around in fear. We kind of have this aspect, well, you know, God's out to get you. You know, it's kind of like a lot of people do with me and their kids. You know, their kids are misbehaving at church, and they look over at them, and I have this happen all the time, and they look over at their kids and say, you better behave, pastor's going to get you. I'm not the boogeyman. <laughs> you know, don't tell your kids that. You take care of business. Don't blame it on me, all right? And so a lot of us have this concept of, of this gray-headed God who's sitting up there uh, with a sword in his hand, and he is just waiting to wreak havoc on our lives. And I know as you read the Old Testament, there are aspects of God's sovereignty that we'll probably never understand as human beings, and and we'll never get into the concept of of really knowing uh, what God is doing at some point. The Bible says that His ways are above our ways. His thoughts are beyond our understanding. And so in His sovereignty, uh, He did things to establish His covenant with the Old Testament Israelites and those kind of things. But when you begin to look at the heart of God, you begin to see some things. The, the book of Luke, the 15th chapter, that, that whole chapter gives us really what I believe is the heart of God. When you begin to look at the scripture, you find out that the heart of God is kind of bound up in a couple of scriptures. One of them is God so loved the world that he what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but should have everlasting life. The other one is what the scripture says that God has come, uh, that Jesus has come to seek and to save that which is lost. And so when you begin to look at it and say, wait a minute, what is the heart of God? Is the heart of God to wreak havoc, to wreak vengeance, to come against us? Or is the heart of God a little bit different? I think that over the next few weeks, as we study this passage, we are going to see. We're just going to go verse by verse uh, through this passage. And I I want to challenge you. If you have the concept that God's out to get you that God is out to destroy you. Uh, Maybe you've been wounded by church uh, that kind of preached the legalistic gospel and told you how bad you were. Listen, I don't need anybody to tell me how bad I am. Amen. Anybody else like me? I mean, come on, I know when I've been bad. 
I, I know when my life is not measuring up to what the Word of God is. You don't have to tell me. You don't have to come along and slap me around and say, you horrible person, you I already know. So when you begin to read the Word of God, in fact, watch this. Let's, let's just start off in verse 1. It says, And all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. Now, isn't that interesting? The, the people that were the least religious are the ones who were drawn to Jesus. And yet on Sunday morning, it's all the religious people in our society that go to church. Well, let's keep moving. But watch this now, and, and I'm going to change a couple of words here. It says in the Pharisees and scribes, but I'm just going to say it this way. And all the church people, and all the religious people, and, and all the people who showed up faithfully on Sunday complained, saying, this man receives sinners, and he even eats with them. Really? Do you know what they're saying about Jesus? They're saying Jesus does not meet up to their expectation. They're saying that Jesus is, uh, in fact, at one point they called him a wine bibber. What they were saying is he's just a partier. All he wants to do is party. All he wants to do is hang out with, with people who, who are out there doing all their stuff. And so when Jesus hears them saying all this, the Bible says he spoke a parable or he, or he, or he just told them a story. And this story is, is the first part. In fact, uh, he tells three stories in this, in this chapter, and over the next three weeks, we're going to look at each of them. And in this story, he begins to lay out some aspects of, of what the heart of God really looks like. That the heart of God is not to keep people away from the kingdom. The heart of God is to draw everybody into the kingdom, no matter who they are, and no matter how they're living, the heart of God is to accept them. Now, I, I know that's hard for us as religious people because we've been told different, but let's read what the Word of God says. Can we do that? Look at verse 4. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, does not leave the ninety and nine in the wilderness and, and goes after that one which is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends. Here goes that party thing again. And neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you, now listen to what Jesus says. Can we again, can we lay aside the junk for a minute that we've been taught? I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons, religious people, Sunday people who need no repentance. Now, see, I, I think this whole setting is kind of apropos to us in our society today because the scribes and the Pharisees, they did not understand the grace of God. They, all they could see was legalism. All they could see was, were the do's and the don'ts. And they, and they had a whole list. I mean, they had taken the Old Testament law, and then they had added to it. Now, have you ever read the Old Testament? I mean, we talked about that in the beginning of this message. But I'm going to tell you, there's a bunch of stuff in the Old Testament that, that are just, it's unbelievable. I mean, you can't wear clothing of mixed texture. We're all sinning. 
because there's very few of us this morning that don't have on some mixed texture clothing. Uh, you know, I mean, there's all kind of stuff in the Old Testament. On the Sabbath day, you know, you can't bear a load and you can't, you can't go but so many feet and all this kind of stuff. And so what the, what the Israelites had done, what the scribes and the rabbis and all of them had done is that they had built even more laws on top of that. They had put fences, uh, what they call fences. And so where the Scripture says that you weren't to bear a burden on Sunday, and, and I'm not making this up. You can go back and read uh, about this in history. They would say, well, what that means is that on, on the Sabbath day, you can't wear false teeth. Now, some of y'all would be in trouble this morning. I mean, you'd be gumming it today. All right, I mean, they, they had all kind of stuff. And, and so the Scripture says you can only go so far on the Sabbath day. And so what they would do, they found ways around it. And, and again, this is all documented in history. What they would do is they would take their meal for the day. If they wanted to go further uh, than, than the law of, of God said they were, then they would take their meal and they would take it half to the distance of where they wanted to go. And then that day they would go to where their meal was and they would say, well, where our meal is is where our home is for today so now we can go and do what we want to do I mean they they had all of these misconceptions and they show up with Jesus and they start hammering him because he's doing things such as eating without washing his hands uh, he's doing such things as as, as uh, you know breaking off corn and eating it on the Sabbath I mean they are just highly ticked kind of like a lot of Christians I mean, have you ever noticed that sometimes that, that sinners get blessed more than Christians? And have you ever seen Christians get upset about that? Well, I can't believe. I've been serving God faithfully. I've been doing the right thing. And, and look at them. They're prospering. Things happening good for them. And my life is a mess. I just can't. I don't understand this. Do you know that the Scripture says that it is the goodness of the Lord that leads men and women to repentance? So, so when God begins to do that, uh, we, we begin to see this. And, and here's what I believe. I, I believe with all of my heart that God is distracted by the lost. That's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about the aspect of being distracted. I really believe, now that's going to mess with some of you because of your concept of God. But I truly believe that God is distracted by the lost. In this passage of Scripture, You've got this herd. You've got this group of sheep that are there. Everything is fine. There's 90 and 9. I mean, everything is wonderful. But one sheep distracts the shepherd. I believe with all of my heart that according to the Word of God, that the heart of God is distracted as long as there's anybody who does not know him. See, the, the, the heart of God is different than we've understood. The heart of God is not about judgment. The heart of God is not about legalism. The heart of God is about love. And, and as you begin to look at that in the passage that I read to you, the, the Scripture says there that, that what man of you uh, who has a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them, See, as you, as you begin to look at this, what you find is, as, as if I can use this terminology, the shepherd is a picture of God. And so the heart of God all of a sudden has this painful discovery. And, and I think that really is what it is. I think it's a painful discovery that all of a sudden that God looks up and goes, wait a minute, one of my kids is missing. Now, now we're, we're kind of processing that and we're saying, well, uh, they've never been saved, so they're not one of his children. Wait a minute. 
the Bible says this. It says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. If we really believe scripture that says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth and it goes through that whole process and then it says and he made man in his image and in his likeness he created them male and female then everybody is a child of God. Now they may be a wayward child of God and I'm not preaching universalism. I'm not saying everybody is going to be saved but I am saying everybody is a child of God. Now, they may be estranged from him. They may be away from him. But I believe that the heart of God it has this painful moments that God looks down and goes, my child is missing. If you've got a hundred, great. It's just one. I mean, that's kind of the way I am. Come on. I, I mean, if, if I've got a hundred dollars and I lose one dollar, it's kind of like, okay, I still got 99. I am not going to look for that one. Am I the only one that's kind of that way? I'm going, man, I got plenty, so hey, I'm not one big deal. But God's not that way. See, when you begin to look at this, you find out that this lost one brings out the sympathy of the shepherd. Do, do you know that God looks down at that neighbor that you just shake your head when you drive by? And that person that you work with, that every other word out of their mouth is a swear word? and you can't stand to talk to them, do you know that God looks down at them with sympathy? Do you know that, that God looked at us? Think about this. Those of us who are saved, that God looked at us, while the Bible says while we were still strangers and, and away from him, that God looked at us and he loved us and he died for us. Now, and I want to tell you, that is unbelievable. That's not what I was taught. I was taught God was mad at me. I was taught God wanted to just, you know, take me out. I, I was taught that, that there was this whole aspect of, of, of living for God, but, but boy, you, you didn't, if you had fun, you must be sinning. And, and yet when you study Scripture, uh, you, you find out that the heart of God is so not like that, that God literally is distracted by the one who is missing. We're looking and saying, look how many we got. God's looking and saying, look at the one who got away. Look at the one who's no longer there. Look at the one who is not part of the flock any longer. And you know what it does? It produces in the heart of God a, a change in purpose. He changes his purpose uh, b because of that. Uh, the, verse 4 goes on to say, does he not leave the 90 and 9 and go into the wilderness? Now, his purpose is to take care of the sheep. But because of the one that wanders away, and understand this, he didn't lose the one. The one lost itself. You ever found, I heard people say, I found God. I found Jesus. Jesus isn't lost. You didn't find God. God found you. You're out here wandering around somewhere. And, and the, the scripture says that, that he goes after, he goes into the wilderness. He changes the purpose of taking care of what he's got so that he can reach to the one. I want to tell you, that's got to be the heart of the church. The heart of the church can't be about nice buildings, nice seats, having great worship, having great times together, coming together and to, oh, isn't it wonderful how, how great and we're all together. The heart of the church has to be, wait a minute, there's one who is missing and we're not satisfied with the 90 and 9. The Bible says that the shepherd leaves the majority to go after the one. And I, and I want you to get this. I want you to understand something this morning. 
He seeks the one not for its value, but because of his love. Don't miss it. Let me say that again. He seeks the one not because of its value, because 90 and 9 always outweighs one. But he seeks the one because of the love that he has in his heart. God loves you. The good news is God loves you. He loves you right where you are. He loves you today right in the place that you are living in. And and he is not willing that you just wander away from him. He is distracted because he wants you to be drawn into his love and into his kingdom. And the verse 4 goes on to say, and it says, and he goes after the one which is lost until he finds it. There is a determined pursuit in the heart of the shepherd. He goes. I mean, he doesn't stop. He doesn't say, well, you know, I I looked over here. and, and No, no, no. He goes after it with everything within him. And he doesn't stop until he finds it. Now, I, I want to talk to some of you just for a moment. Some of you have family members in your life who have wandered away from the Father, who have wandered away from God, and, and, and their lives are, are taking a trajectory at this point that really looks like it's a mess. But I want to tell you, however much your heart aches for that one, there is a heart that is greater than yours, and it is the heart of God, who is determined that that son, that daughter, that family member, that friend that you so long to see saved, God's heart is determined, and God will not give up until he finds it. You say, Pastor, you're preaching eternal security. No, I'm preaching the Word of God. Because the word of God says that that one sheep is so important that the shepherd does not stop until he finds that one. And so as you begin to understand that, he's, he's willing to do whatever it takes to find the one. He's willing to leave everything else to find the one. Jesus was so willing to leave everything that he left heaven to come to this earth to die on a cross so that everybody could have the chance and the choice of salvation. And the Word of God says that as he did that, as he gave himself as a ransom for you and I, the Word of God says that he despised the shame, but he looked to the glory. The shame was the crucifixion. The shame was the beating. The shame was hanging there uh, with no clothing on uh, in front of men and women. But that was the shame. But the glory is every time one lost sheep is found. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. And, and I think a lot of times that's kind of where we leave it. We, we come to the cross, and, and I want to tell you, if you haven't come to the cross, you need to go to the cross. I should have been a whole lot more amens than that. So I'm going to say that again. If you haven't come to the cross, you need to go to the cross. Okay, I will prompt you if I need to. All right? And and so what, what we have an understanding of, though, is that as wonderful as the cross is, you need to keep reading the story. Because the Word of God begins to talk about when that which is lost is found, what happens. Look in verse 5, if you still have your Bibles open. And it says, and when he had found it, found what? Found that one lost sheep. It says he lays it on his shoulder rejoicing. Now think about that for a minute. All of a sudden you have this distracted, distraught shepherd 
who in a moment when he finds the sheep, he picks that sheep up, he places that sheep on his shoulder, and he becomes joyful. He is now a joyful shepherd. No, you missed it. See, we, again, we've got, this, we've got this God who is scowling. Have you ever seen pictures of Jesus? Come on, you ever seen pictures that all these people draw of Jesus? I mean, he always looks like, you know, he, he, he needs to go to the bathroom. I'm sorry. I mean, he, he always looks like, like, you know, he's mad at the world. He always looks like, and what is this about? He's, he's always doing this. I don't think Jesus went around doing this. I mean, I think Jesus had to, I mean, listen, if you hang out with sinners, you better be fun. Because sinners, now church people, they'll tolerate you if you're a pain in the backside. But, but you, you know, sinners won't. They'll just kick you to the curb. And, and Jesus was, was a friend of sinners and publicans, and, and, and so he's, he's having a party. And so this scripture talks about a joyful shepherd, one, one who now is, is rejoicing. And, and you know what I see? I, I, I saw this as I was preparing, and it, it, it just set me free. Let me ask you a question. How many of you have sinned since you got saved? I'm just waiting for somebody to sin right now, but lying. Right? Come on, I think I can raise both hands on that question. <clears throat> now, now watch. In this passage, this, this was a thing that was just went, whoa, praise God. There is no word of reproach or blame to the sheep. You don't see the shepherd going, what are you doing? Why did you do it? I mean, come on, how many of you have animals in your house? I'm not talking about your kids. I'm talking about... Right, you got a dog, a cat, you know, and, and, the, and the dog does something or the cat does, and, and you know, what are you doing? The, the shepherd doesn't go, what do you mean making me come after you? There's no reproach. There's no blame. There's no saying, you big dummy, what'd you do that for? I, I, maybe, this is, maybe I need to go preach this to some other church. Maybe you don't need this this morning, but I needed this. When I was preparing this several weeks ago now, it was like, come on, God. Thank you that I know I've messed up. I know I've done wrong. I know I've created all kind of havoc in the kingdom of God, and you've had to come after me time and time. And I want to tell you, even since I've been a pastor and a preacher, there have been a number of times that I've gotten off the track and gotten away from God, and yet God still comes after me. And he never blames me. Now, I'm going to tell you, I'm not, I'm not like that. You know, I might help you one time, and after that, I'm going, oh, give me a break. Right? And, and when you look at this, the Bible says, and i got to hurry, but the Bible says he reaches down, picks it up, and he places it on his shoulder. Why? Because that sheep is worn out. You know, it's the picture of a worn-out sinner. One who has run as far as they could, done everything they could, done, done everything that was wrong, done everything to, to please their flesh. And now, after they, they're kind of like Solomon. They just said, it's all vanity. I've had the money, I've had the cars, I've had the women, I've had the men, I've had the whatever. I've done it all, I've had the drugs, I've done it. And, and they're just wore out. And the Bible says that the, the shepherd takes the sheep and he places it on his shoulder. The joyful shepherd. And then he goes on. 
It says that when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulder, rejoicing. Not only in this aspect is there a, a joy for the shepherd, but what you find is, is that there is rest for the lost. I don't miss it. He doesn't say, well, okay, I found you now. Come on, let's go. Gets behind him with a stick and goes, bam! That way. Come on, you know that's what we would do. You know you would. You just go, all right, I got the shepherd's staff. Whop! That way. That's not what the shepherd does. That's not what God does. God reaches down, takes takes us, and he puts us on his shoulders. I, I got to reading the scripture, and the Bible says, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you a bunch of rules. And I will give you a swift kick. And I will give you all these things you ought to be doing and all these things you ought to stop doing. Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come on. Coming into fellowship with Jesus is the most wonderful thing that happens to mankind. The Lord never drives or drags those that he saves. He always places them on his shoulder. Come unto me, all you that labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Rest from what? Rest from the toil of sin? Rest from the rat race of trying to keep up with the Joneses? Any Joneses don't take that personally. Rest from the condemnation of the lifestyle that we've lived that we know doesn't please God or even please ourselves. And God just says, I'm going to pick you up. I'm going to place you on my shoulder. And I'm going to give you rest. I mean, what a wonderful, wonderful picture. But, but look in verse 6 as I come to a close today. It says, and when he comes home, he calls together his friends. He texts them. He Facebooks them. <laughs> he emails them. He, he calls them. says, come, 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 everybody come. Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. Now, I want to tell you something today. I believe with all of my heart that heaven's joy is to be reflected in earth's church. Did you hear me? Heaven's joy of I have found the lost one needs to be reflected in the church on the earth that is now in fellowship with God Almighty. The Word of God is clear that the greatest thing that ever happens in a service is not somebody gets out of a wheelchair. The greatest thing that happens in a church service is not someone falls out. Boy, I know I'm, I'm just really making you happy. The greatest thing in a church service is not that the band was really kicking and the music was just right and the, and the pitch was, no, no, no. The greatest thing that happens in a church service is when somebody who was lost is found. That's the greatest thing on earth. The greatest thing that we can have is when that lost one comes home. Recently, I was in Birmingham, and Pastor Chris Hodges, who pastors a, a great growing congregation, told a story. He has a son who is autistic. 
And he said they were out with his son on a vacation, and he's got several children, and he said he and his children, his wife, and he said they were in an area that was kind of an outside mall area, and he said that they had gone, uh, they were walking around, and they weren't really watching uh, this child's in his eight or nine years old, and uh, can't communicate, can't talk, and said they were, you know, as families do, they were having a good time, and, and they kind of wandered off, and they went into an ice cream store. And the whole family's in the ice cream store, and everybody's ordering, everybody's doing their business. And he said, all of a sudden, somebody realized that that little boy was not there. And he said, immediately, they all went out of the store and started looking, and they couldn't find him. And so he said, without a moment of hesitation, he said, two of his kids went one way, two of his kids went another way, he and his wife went another way. And he said, immediately, everything that we were doing changed. He said, our focus was no longer on having a good time. Our focus no longer was on getting ice cream. Our focus all of a sudden was on one boy who could not find his way back to us. And he said, we went all over that area. And he said, finally, we found him over in a corner crying. And he said, when we all came together, he said, there was so much crying. He said, crying of sorrow, but crying of joy. Because that one which was lost is now found. I want to tell you, the heart of God is just like that. And the heart of the church has to be the same way. That it's not about us. And it's not about our ice cream. And it's not about our fun time. It is literally, Lord, if there is one who is lost, let our attention be transformed from ourselves to that one who is lost.